comes to us out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. We hear verses 16 and 17, the words of Paul to the young Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God here. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. So today we continue our worship series on half-truths. And uh, the reason that we're uh, in this series is, is because, uh, well, all of these uh, statements and uh, or today uh, ideals uh, have a uh, elements of truth in them. They are at best half-true. And for people without the religious background and, and upbringing and surrounding to be able to understand how to take these statements, um, sometimes they can actually have the opposite effect to the way that we meant for them to have. They, they can unintentionally push people away from God when we're trying to do the opposite and so on. And so it's important to examine these and instead um, look at the truths that Jesus shares instead Today, we talk about the concept more than the statement. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And actually, uh, another way to put this, probably a better way we, we, I could have titled this is, is the Bible says that settles it. I believe it because the Bible says it just like this. I believe it or, or maybe I don't. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because it's final. When I was in seminary, um, one thing that they do to you when you go to seminary, especially in your first year, first year is always the roughest because what they do is, is they take you and they deconstruct you down. <laughs> Everything that you thought you knew about theology, about God, they destruct that down to the bone so that way you can reconstruct it afterwards. And I... I Deconstruction for me was tough. Uh, it was hard. There were bouts of anger <laughs> within that. Uh, I felt at times some of the discussions in class were spent more time questioning the Bible as opposed to teaching on the Bible or on the substances within it. Uh, and, and again, conversations and just... Anger was the easiest way to describe that first entire year. And I can't tell you how many times I had my, my resignation or transfer form completed and ready to send. And I'm so glad I didn't do it. <laughs> but what I couldn't understand at the time that I fully get now. Because my, my heart and my mind was closed to it all, closed off to it at the time. But, but, but they weren't questioning scripture we were dissecting a collection of man written documents are you with me one of the least favorite lines 
that I hear from pastors and sermons, and I hope I never say this. If I do, you got the right to call me out on it immediately, okay? One of my least favorite lines is, it clearly states in the Bible. I hate that line. You know why? Because it doesn't. <laughs> Nowhere does it clearly state anything in the Bible. Folks, perhaps, and, and, and listen today with me with your open mind caps on today. Remember, uh, my role is, is not to stomp anybody's toes or it's just to gently guide across them and let you determine the amount of pressure. But I want you with me today. The greatest, perhaps, injustice we can do to ourselves is to have an irresponsible interpretation of Scripture. I use the word irresponsible um, very often when describing this because I think that's exactly what it is. When we take such a literal verbatim approach to scripture we must be ready for the unusual limits that it creates for instance <clears throat> scriptures that say we can't eat pork or we can't eat shrimp uh, we can't wear blended fabrics you can't plant more than one item in a garden and men it's actually against biblical scripture for us to shave our faces. We're all going to hell this week, guys, <laughs> except for a couple of you. I became a particular sinner this week. Also, some of the other things the unusual limits. When children talk back to their parents or they act out, particularly in church, you know what the scripture says you're to do to them? You're to put them to death. My poor kids wouldn't have stood a chance. <laughs> How many of us wouldn't be here right now if our parents really acted on that about acting up in church part? We wouldn't be here today. Some of you still wouldn't be here, right, Bill? <laughs> Or, or, or how, about, how about doing any kind of work on the Sabbath that involves raising more than eight figs of weight? Oh, by the way, the Sabbath is Saturday, according to Scripture. So mowing your grass on Saturday is a no-no, according to the literal interpretation of Scripture. Should I keep going or y'all, you get the point. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 12. This is funny. This is how, how crazy it can, it can get, okay? It's basically according to Scripture. It is sinful to use the bathroom inside of the place where you go to worship. Okay? This is the basis of the Scripture. Uh, uh, excuse me, this is the scriptural basis of that point. You shall have a designated area outside the camp to which you shall go. You want to know something sad? This was a focal point of a group of people in the 1880s 
who used this passage and argued profusely against indoor plumbing in churches. How many of you are thankful for indoor plumbing in churches today? Amen? The same approach... Okay, that was the last one, I promise. The same approach has been used to try to justify slavery, to try to condemn women leaders in the church, and so on and so forth. By the way, for those who, who may say, well, some of what you're talking about is Paul's words, not the Old Testament, it's different. We need to think again using that train of thought because also according to Paul it is also wrong to wear jewelry of any kind so if you got necklaces and wedding rings according to Paul we're sinners your watches according to, to Paul and it's also mandatory to pray with your hands lifted up high and your heads covered We're all doomed, y'all, <laughs> right? So uh, I, I told you the other one was the last one, but, but I was just kidding. I, so you see the unusual limits and, and, and the extent to where an irresponsible and limiting interpretation of Scripture gets us. You see, again, the, the problem with such a literal approach to scripture is that it distorts what scripture truly is and it generalizes how we are supposed to read it okay this phrase or belief the bible says it i believe it that's final it makes an assumption that the words of scripture were in essence dictated by god to biblical authors while there are passages in which the authors claim they literally received God's words, such as Moses when he received the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, or certain other sections of the law. Or John in Revelation. Side note here. Most of the time in Revelation, John says it's an angel or a voice that he claims speaking to him a vision, if you read closely. That's again, that's besides the point. But here's the thing. Most of the time, the biblical authors do not claim any form of divine dictation, but are actually writing from their own insights, reflections, experiences, and ideas concerning the will of God. Okay? This is why I said, bear with me. No, I'm, I'm guiding across your toes. Bear with me. Open mind here. Paul himself never claims that his words and his thoughts were directly spoken by God. He does, however, credit the leading of the Holy Spirit in helping him formulate the words. Do you see the difference? And it's an important distinction to be made. Paul wrote the letters that we read this day as a way to teach, as a way to encourage, as a way to correct, as a way to guide the people of the early Christian movement. Did God speak through him in that time? Yes, absolutely. Does God speak through Paul's words to us today? Yes. Everybody shake your head. Yes. Absolutely. 
God's word speaks to us through Paul's letters. But since Paul is writing as himself, it's not God doing the actual writing. We must interpret his words. Right? While all of scripture and while all the words of scripture should be taken seriously, they must be interpreted. They must be read in context. Remember we talked about that last week for those who were here. They must be read in the way they were intended to be read. We must, as, uh, we, we must do a couple things when we read scripture. We must first seek understanding. We must seek understanding for the context, the times, and the people for which the scripture was written for. Secondly, we must seek understanding for uh, the circumstances for which that particular passage was being written about. And finally, we must seek understanding for the ways in which those words continue to address all of our needs for us today. Never once, however, did Paul say, God said it, I believe it, you should believe it, and that settles it. You will never hear those words from Paul. He knew better. Paul knew better. He would have understood that the authors were people. Writing under the influence of God, but also bringing their own circumstances to the forefront uh, as they wrote. This presents another issue, however, okay? Stay with me. When interpreting Scripture... We often tend to bring our own assumptions in, right? Our own upbringings, our own backgrounds, our own way of reading, our own way of, uh, of thinking. We bring those in when we read scripture. We allow our biases at times to get in the way of context and we only hear what we want to hear. <laughs> Does that about cover it? <laughs> but here's the deal, folks. If we are willing to set aside our biases, we can discover that no matter how many times we have read a certain passage, the next time we read it, it can be like reading it for the first time all over again. The Christmas story every year, for me, is a prime example of that. I hear it, I read it every single year, but it is my personal challenge to hear it every year in a way that it sounds like the first time all over again. How can we make it come to life in ways that God was present and was trying to deliver that message to us through the words and the writing and the letters of the authors of Scripture? Now, this is the blessing that we receive when we realize that, that while the text was written for the people over 2,000 and plus years ago, it is not settled. God continues to speak through the Bible to us today. And God speaks to us often in new and in vibrant ways. 
the Bible will never become an old has-been book. It will always and forever be the Word of God. Someone say amen. Back to Paul and to our passage today for a quick second. What does Paul mean in this letter to Timothy when he uses the phrase every scripture? When he uses the word scripture here in 1 Timothy, he is referring specifically to the documents that make up our Old Testament. But keep in mind, uh, because the writings of the New Testament were not written yet, and it is unlikely that he would dare refer to his own letters. Okay? Also, when he says every scripture, he isn't likely referring to every word or to every verse that we call the Old Testament but instead is addressing a question of which individual writings that were circulating at the time uh, among the Jewish communities in the first century uh, as holy books were actually believed to be influenced or inspired by God. That's actually what he was probably speaking to in this context. Another school of thought here for, for this letter to Timothy is that he could be responding to a completely different debate going on between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. <laughs> What's the difference, preacher? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul was a Pharisee. A Pharisee is one who read the Torah, uh, believed that the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They read those. They, they read the prophets, the, the writings of the prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Samuel, all of those. They read those. And they read the writings, the lessers, Esther, Song of Solomon, some of those. They, they read those. Uh, all the components that make up our, our, our Old Testament today. They believe all of those were the inspired word of God and therefore should be seen as authoritative. authoritative. Okay? So the other flip side of this is the Sadducees who believe that only the first five books of the Old Testament were to be seen as authoritative. Okay? So that's the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees. You got it? All right, there's a test at the end of this. Just to make sure you know. We have no way of knowing exactly what Paul was trying to say, but it does beg us to consider the next question that arises from this passage out of, out of Timothy, and that is, what does Paul mean when he says that every scripture is inspired by God? What does he mean by this? The Greek word used for this phrase is a single word that is used nowhere else in the Bible, nor in any other ancient literature. And the Greek word that Paul uses here is the Greek compound word theonuestos. Everybody say theonuestos. That'll work. <laughs> this is a compound Greek word. The Greek word starting theo, meaning God, and the uh, new, uh, neustos, or nuestos, actually it's, uh, it's neustos, means breath. That's where we get the word pneuma, that means spirit, that we'll talk about next week. Therefore translated, this means God breathed. Here's a throwback. 
What did God do when God created humanity? God breathed life into humanity. In this passage to Timothy, Paul is not trying to teach a doctrine of inspiration. Paul is not teaching us that God said it, this is the way, and this is the way it's going to be, and don't question it. But to make clear that God's influence on the Jewish sacred writings makes them, quote, useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, for training character, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. That's what Paul means by inspired by God. This is, in fact, in how, how, how Scripture, all of Scripture, functions for us. It helps us form and shape our understanding of who God is and who God and what God's will is for our lives so that we can be equipped to do what God is calling us to do in our lives. So we can be equipped to do the good of God. Folks, the Bible contains our defining story as Christians, as followers of Christ, and as individuals. Its words, its teachings mold us into who we are and who we are called to be. But we must read it recognizing that the biblical authors were in fact people writing for various purposes and for specific audiences, in particular historical circumstances, all while relating to their experience to God. So what then? Now that you've torn, deconstructed all of us, now what? How then are we called to make sense of Scripture today? What do we do when Scripture raises more questions than answers? Right? How many of you read a passage and you say, well, that didn't answer anything. Now I have even more questions, right? Here's the answer to that. As followers of Christ, we must choose Christ. As followers of Jesus, we must choose Jesus. For us, Jesus, his words, his teachings, his actions set the example for how we are called to interpret Scripture. While all the other words and scriptures were mediated through human ordinary humans, Jesus was the word. Jesus is the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. When we seek to read and to understand scripture, we as Christians, which literally means followers of Christ, should interpret it through the lens of what Jesus teaches us about the heart, about the character, and about the will of God. And through the commands to love God and to love others. You want the gospel in a nutshell? Who we are as Christians? That's it. How we call to use scripture? Through the lens of Jesus. Not... Listen to this. Not even Jesus interpreted Scripture using a God said it, that's final approach. Not even Jesus did that. What did Jesus do for the adulteress when they brought her to him? 
Leviticus says the penalty for adultery is what? Death by stoning. But Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 7, whoever hasn't sinned, you cast the first stone. Jesus, now listen to me, Jesus did not excuse her adultery. Instead, he forgave it. And then he said what? Now go, sin no more. Now go and sin no more. When in doubt, when scripture doesn't make sense, when it raises more questions than answers, turn to Jesus. You could say, now wait a minute, preacher. You're you're picking and you're choosing your examples. You're picking and choosing certain things out of scripture. But this is exactly what, what, what literal interpreters are accused of doing. So why are you doing it yourself? At at times, we might all be accused of that, right? No matter how we interpret Scripture. And and we can use that as the excuse. We can tell others, this is what you're doing. And there's ways that they can turn around to us and say, no, that's what you're doing. But properly interpreting Scripture and seeking to apply them to our daily lives is not picking and choosing. It's being a responsible hearer and a responsible doer of the Word. A better way to word our statement for us today is this. God influenced it. God inspired it. God breathed life into these words. I know this is small, but it's written on your sermon outline. I read, study, and sometimes wrestle with this word. And as I interpret it in the light of Jesus Christ, I hear God speak through it. And I seek to live its words to the best of my ability. That's my answer when I tell people, when people ask me, what's your view of Scripture? It is the inspired, breathed, influenced Word of God. I read it, I study it, I wrestle with it. I interpret it through the light of Jesus Christ. I hear God speak through it and seek to live its words to the best of my ability. God said it believe it that's final God breathed it and said this is for you to guide you to lead you and oh by the way I sent my son as your example to follow any visual learners in here your visual example is Jesus any auditory or, 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 or other type of learners? Your source is the Bible. Through Jesus Christ. How are we going to bring the word of God into the world? Through the lens of Jesus for all people today. I hope I didn't step on too many hard ones today. But sometimes we need to hear what God aims for us to hear. This is the gospel message. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our hymn for going forward today for invitation is, I need thee every hour, and boy, do we need Jesus.
every hour. Whatever you need today, I invite you to come. I invite you, if you need to be on your knees in the altar, that is available to you. If, if you want to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, wherever you stand or maybe sit, use this moment. If you've been saying, uh, I, I want to know Jesus, I've never known Jesus, whether you're listening from afar or whether you're sitting in this presence, a simple prayer that says, Jesus, come into my life, teach me, guide me, lead me using your word, your breathed, inspired word, so I can live for you. That will transform a life in a heartbeat. Whatever you need, use it in this moment. We're going to turn to page 397 in the hymnal, the words will be on the screen in front, verses 1, 2, and 5. 